Heavenly Father, we are about to open your word and to want to hear your voice, Lord. We want to understand what it is that you would have for us in these words, what message it is that we should take away from them, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the power to do what you call us to do. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. In research done by Darley and Batson at Princeton in 1973, I think some of you are old enough to remember 73, a group of theology students was told that they were to go across campus to deliver a sermon on the topic of the Good Samaritan. What topic was it? The Good Samaritan. Hang on to that. As part of the research, some of these students were told that they were late and needed to hurry up. Along their route across campus, Darley and Batson had hired an actor to play a role, play the role of a victim who was coughing and suffering. Listen, 98, no, 90, I'm sorry, 90% of the late students in Princeton Theology Seminary ignored the needs of the suffering person in their haste to get across campus. As the study reports, indeed, quote, indeed, on several occasions, a, I'm sorry, yeah, on, on several occasions, a seminary stu- student going to give his talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan literally stepped over the victim in their hurry. That was 73. You think things have gotten better? I think this is indicative of the, of our, uh, the signs of the times that we live in as well as the, the culture and society that we, we find ourselves living in. How many of you are busy today? How many of you are, are busier than busy? How many of you forget what day it is because you're so busy? You know, um, the, the scriptures tell us that in these last days that, that uh, men, and this means mankind, would run to and fro, and knowledge would increase. <clears throat> I truly believe that, that God's word is being fulfilled um, here every day, especially here in the United States. Well, I want to spend some, just a few moments with you um, this morning looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. We find here that uh, this is an account that's given by Dr. Luke that's kind of sandwiched in between a few things. One of them is Jesus sending out the 70 and, and them coming back and reporting on their, on their successfulness or, or lack thereof. And then just a little while further into the, into the book, we find um, Luke talking about the Lord's Prayer. So in between, in that context, he, tells, he starts telling some parables. And the reason why Jesus told parables is because he couldn't tell them the straight truth. He would share that with his disciples. They weren't quite ready to hear it, but they were ready to hear a story. And, and I don't know about you, but I remember a story better than I do you know, most everything else, like a lecture in school, for instance. So Jesus starts telling these stories, and he, <clears throat> excuse me, 
in uh, verse 25, Jesus is talking here about uh, salvation and eternal life. And it says, and a lawyer stood up. That should be a warning right there. A lawyer stood up and put him uh, to, t- to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So what's his question? What should I do? What do I have to do? In other words, what do I have to do um, uh, uh, as a person who understands um, the law and understands the penalties for the law and understands um, you know, keeping, keeping law? And his expectation... As a, as, a, as a Jew would be, that Jesus is going to tell him, well, you've got to keep the, the law of God. And then, you know, you, and if you keep it perfectly, then you'll be saved. Because that was the concept and perception of the day. Jesus takes like a kind of a, a, a wild turn. And uh, I don't know if you notice this, but I, I kind of get, um, I don't know if, if you do, but I kind of get irritated when I ask somebody a, a direct question and then they don't answer it. They, they start, you know, they start kind of answering it in a roundabout way. It's like, well, could you just get to the point? But Jesus, listen to what Jesus says after he asked this question. He, in verse 26, he says, and he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? He, he, asked, he answered a question with a question. And that, that's actually a good counseling technique, by the way. And uh, so he answers that. He asked that question, what, 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 well, how do you see it? What do you, what do you think? Let me hear from you. What do you think that you have to do to have eternal life? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And with all your mind. It's quoting scripture, by the way. And your neighbor as yourself. Kind of a tag there at the end. So what's Jesus' response to that? Was he right? Is that, is that a good thing? Is that what God requires of us? To love him above everything else? And then love each other. Isn't that what the Ten Commandments really are all about? I mean, it's ten simple rules. If that's for me, I'm not here. Um, there's just, just, just ten, ten simple rules, and God has them divided up into, into two basic you know, sections or categories. Uh, love for God, that's the first four. And then the last six, love for each other. So he, I, he, I think he was right on the right track. And in verse 28, he says... And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now here's where Jesus takes a radical turn. He says, it, it says that Jesus replied, and he said, a man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jer- from Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho. What? I just ask you who my neighbor is and start telling me a story about a, a guy that's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. But he goes on to say this, he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went uh, away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, by chance, I love how he, how he puts that, by chance a priest was going down on the road 
And when he saw him, he went over immediately and ministered to him and helped him and raised him up and took care of him. Because he's a religious leader and he knows that that's what's required of him, right? Uh, No. I wish that were the story. I wish that was what happened, but it didn't. I mean, here you have a priest. Think about this. This is a person that is called of God to minister in the sanctuary for the people as a representative of the people to God Almighty. And his response is, as a, as a priest, um, I, I, can't, I can't go over there and help this person because why? Because that will make me unclean. Unclean. I'll become unclean by helping somebody. And then I won't be able to perform my priestly duties. So he had, he had a, a legitimate reason, right? Not really. Now Jesus goes on. <clears throat> And he says, likewise, a Levite, a Levite. Now, this is, an, uh, this is another individual that's not a priest, but <clears throat> who was designated to work in the sanctuary were the, were the family of Levi, the descendants of, of, of the tribe of Levi. They were designated to take care of the things of the sanctuary, to clean it and minister in, in the sanctuary, not to perform the priestly duties, but to take care of the sanctuary, all the rest of the sanctuary um, things. So, so here's a, another person who is very close to the sanctuary service and, and should know God's holy word, right? A person that would probably, like the priest, believe what the lawyer said that you should do. And what was his response when he saw the man? He said, Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. In other words, he did, it wasn't enough that he saw him and ignored him. He went, he went out of his way. The man was on this side of the road, and he went. The priest did the same thing, by the way. He went all the way as far as he could on the other side of the road and walked around him. Now, there were, there were robbers on this path, and it was well known. You took your, you, you, you took your valuables uh, uh, and hid them very carefully, tied them inside your clothes. That's why they stripped this guy, by the way. And um, so, but he, he didn't want to take a chance because one of the things that the robbers sometimes did was, was plant a decoy like this. They would have one of their friends, you know, act like they were hurt. But this man was genuinely hurt. And, and the priest and the Levite have, have gone out of their way not to help this person. Then it says this in verse 33. But a Samaritan. Now, this wouldn't sit well with Jesus' audience. Just the mention of the Samaritan people. One thing you need to probably know about the Samaritan people uh, is that they were cousins to the, to the Jews. They were, they were half Jewish and half Babylonian. And so um, they weren't accepted by the Jews because, after all, they're unclean because they're not completely Jewish. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, they, they, they went so far as to have to try to have worship uh, in, the, in their country because they couldn't go to the temple. So here's this, this person that's despised by Jewish people. Jesus is telling this story to, uh, to the Jews. And he says, A Samaritan who was on, on the journey came upon him, 
And when he saw him, he, he felt compassion. Compassion. Now, I, I looked this word up, and it comes from a Greek word. You don't really know, need to know uh, what that Greek word is. It's not essential for the story. But what it means is that it, it, the, the root word means the inner part of who you are. Now, we would, we would say the heart today. But in Jesus' time, they didn't say that. They didn't say, well, I felt it in my heart. They would say they felt it in their loins, in their guts. Okay, but I, th- I think it still um, implies the same meaning. And that is the, it, the soft inside parts of who we are. Th- they were moved. They, he was touched deeply, in other words, by seeing this man suffering on the side of the road. And he had compassion or mercy on him. <clears throat> now, I want to um, read another story to you really quickly. Ah, here we are. Okay. Um, the news that Tom Hanks will portray Fred Rogers. Everybody know who Fred Rogers is? Okay. For the younger people, they might not. Fred Rogers, in a coming um, biopic, was meant or met with frenzied glee. Americans also seem to love sharing myths about Fred Rogers, the friendly neighbor known the world over as Mr. Rogers. Consider the one about how he wore cardigans. Remember, you remember he would come, he'd start his show by coming in the door, and he'd walk over and open the closet, and he'd take off whatever he was wearing and reach in there and get a cardigan and put it on. Well, here's the myth. He wore those to cover up his tattoos. That's not true, by the way. Or the one that um, he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. Actually, that one was true. Um, He graduated from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary in 1963, the year after I was born. And it's far more um, fundamental to Roger's legacy than you might think. Rogers was a man defined by his Christian faith. And the message that he taught every day on his beloved children's show was shaped by it. Rogers said over and over again, you've made this day a special day by just your being here or being you. There is no person in the whole world like you. And I like you just the way you are. That's what he would say to start out a show. I think everybody longs to be loved, don't you? He, they long to be loved and longs to know that um, he or she is lovable. That was another quote. He, he said that in a documentary in 2003. America's favorite neighbor, he was called. Rogers echoed the sentiment of the biblical passage of 1 John 4.10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The focus is not just on how important it is that we're loved, but also how vital it is to be loved or be loving. Roger's theological messages could be traced to the biblical notion of neighbor in Jesus' parable about the Good Samaritan. Jesus' point that the Good Samaritan and the Jewish man were neighbors 
in a spiritual sense is not a physical one, if not a physical one, feels right at home on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, where Rogers greeted you with a daily, hi, neighbor, as if the whole world lived in the same close-knit community. Rogers said in a 2001 commencement address at Middleton, or Middleburg College, quote, when we look for what is best, what's best in the person we happen to be with at the moment, we're doing what God does. So in, a, in appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something truly sacred. It may sound old-fashioned, but Mr. Rogers' theology was radical in 1962 when his show debuted, and it remains radical today. That's why it resonates. That's why it's still necessary. So it's the Samaritan, not, not the priest, not the Levite, but the Samaritan that helps out this injured traveler. And I think you probably might remember the rest of the story about how he um, helped the man put uh, oil and bandages on him and, and loaded him on his uh, donkey and took him to an inn and gave the innkeeper money and said, hey, I've got to keep going on my journey, but when I come back, if, if, there's, if there's a bill that you have for, for this man, I'll pay it. So I think that man was, that the Samaritan in the story is, is going above and beyond, isn't he? He went a mile with the man, and then he went another mile. One last story, and then we'll, we'll have our communion service. The pharisaical legalism pictured in the parable of the Good Samaritan is alive and well. As a result, a 15-year-old African-American boy in Chicago is not. One, uh, one uh, warm spring evening in May 1998, Christopher um, Searcy was playing basketball with a few friends half a block from the Raven Woods, at Raven's Wood Hospital, half a block. How many of you are familiar with city blocks? They're, they're, they're kind of long, but it's not that far. Half of a block is not very far. Three teenage Latino gang members looking for a black target approached and shot young um, Cersei in the abdomen. His frantic friends carried him to within 30 feet of the hospital and ran inside for help. The emergency room personnel refused to go outside to assist the dying boy, citing a policy that only allows them to help those who are inside the hospital. The boys called for nearby police to attend their wounded friend. When the officers arrived on the scene, they proceeded to call for an ambulance but refused to carry the boy inside. While passers-by pled with the officers to get the boy into the hospital, he lay in a pool of blood unconscious. When after several minutes the ambulance had not yet arrived, the police gave in and carried Cersei into the emergency room. By then, nothing could be done to save his life. As is often true, 
when we legalistically insist on the letter of the law, the needs of others are overlooked. By holding to standards, standard operating procedures, the quote-unquote royal law of love was pinned to the mat. Initially, hospital administrator, administration uh, vehemently defended their ER, uh, ER's lack of involvement. Only after a barrage of community outrage did Ravenswood Hospital reverse its policy of treating only those inside the doors. It was Jesus who observed, quote, Woe to you teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You give a tenth, but you do, um, but you do have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Let's not lose sight of that, shall we? At this time, I'd like to ask if we could divide up for our service of humility, which is our foot washing, and then we will return back in here and, and complete our communion service. God bless you.